Welcome to From the Booth, the weekly podcast sponsored by BYU's International Cinema Program. I'm Chip Oscarson, one of the directors for International Cinema. This is our Week in Review episode in which we discuss the films that just played at IC. I'm joined here in the booth by Mark Yamada, IC co-director. Hey, Mark. Hello. And by IC assistant director, Marilor Oscarson. Good to have you here, too, again. Hello. Today, we're going to be discussing the films that showed between the 4th and the 7th of March. Three of these films are part of the Upstairs Downstairs series, and they include Hard Labor, a Brazilian film about work and the decaying social fabric of the 21st century by Marco Dutra and Juliana Rojas from 2011. The Chambermaid, about the oft-times invisible work of a young maid working in a luxurious Mexico City hotel, directed by Laila Aviles from 2018. Parasite, the Academy Award-winning best film from 2019, the first ever non-English language film to win that award, directed, of course, by Bong Joon-ho from 2019. And then lastly, we have the documentary Maiden from 2018, directed by Alex Holmes, about the first all-woman crew to compete in the Whitbread Round the World race in 1989. Because these films have already played, we'll talk about them with no spoiler alerts, so feel free to use the time codes in the program notes if you need to skip forward in the conversation to preserve any crucial plot points. Uh, why don't we start about talking about Maiden and Parasite, and then we'll have some special guests uh, come in to talk about The Chambermaid and Hard Labor. So let's start with the documentary, Mari Lord. What's your takeaway from Maiden? It's an empowering story for both women and men, children as well. It's something that had never been done in the world before. Tracy Edwards put together her crew and led Maiden, her sailing boat around the world, in a very competitive uh, race that was only open to men before uh, she ventured on these waters. So very powerful and very inspiring. I really enjoyed the way that original footage was used. There was a camera on board, so the, the women were filming. And then the film director explained that they would come to port and give the footage to news agencies for the footage to be uh, distributed. And so when he found out that there is original footage, he was really excited, but had to do the work of a, um, detective, a detective, right? yes, yeah. a detective, because the footage was all around the world. And it was a, a very difficult task. But in the end, he ended up with 100 hours, I think, of original footage, which adds so much to the documentary because... You see something that happened, filmed by the crew, and then you see the reaction of Tracy Edwards, for instance, about something specific that happened on the boat, and you feel the emotion, and it just carries you into the story in a very, very effective way. Well, and there's an interesting contrast, I think, between the footage shot by the media in the respective ports, right, mm. and, the, and the footage that they're shooting themselves, because there's this, how to describe it, this, this kind of structural sexism right that i mean oh, wait, that, yeah. that that i mean in the way that it's filmed in the way that they talk to the crew i mean yes. it it really is kind of extraordinary you know this is happening in 8990 and you know i i remember quite clearly 8990 right this is right as i'm finishing high school and i don't think of that time as being an era of you know this kind of sexism and yet it helps me to recognize how invisible it must have been to me uh, mm -hmm. that this is the way that people talked about women, that these are the assumptions people made about women and what women could do and couldn't do. Uh, the sexism is virulent. And, and we see actually other skippers, men skippers, who are competing with Maiden. And they, they criticize Maiden for the lack of strength and cohesion. Mm. And when, when you see the documentary, it's all about strength, cohesion, competency. 
Yeah. It's it's completely the opposite of what these men were were saying. But worse than uh, the other skippers, the male journalists, the way they they represent yeah. the crew and Tracy Edwards, they are very brutal and harmful in their description of of the all women crew. Yeah. But you have to give them like they they accept it to be interviewed, but they do kind of giggle about the the things that they said. So it's 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 maddening. <laughs> yeah. But um, I'm glad that nothing was hidden. Right? It's yeah. it's out there. Well, they were very audacious. They didn't want just to do well. They wanted to win, and that was yeah. their goal, right? And Tracy's an interesting character. She's really a. I mean, early on she had some trouble with I think with her family, and but it really kind of took that. That sense of character that she has to really do well here, I think. But yeah, she... there there was a quote from her that I I thought spoke to you know what this film is is really representing. So. You know, this is her speaking, Edward speaking. I thought if I put a team of guys together, it'll still be awful, right? <laughs> she says, because <laughs> she wanted to, to go, so but she didn't want to go with a team of guys. So I decided if I put a team of girls together, then we prove we can do it. I can navigate. I'll find a skipper. I was never going to skipper the boat. Instead of living in a world you know, I don't want to live in, I'll just change the world that I'm living in and make it suit me, yeah. <laughs> right? That That's what it took. It's it's not just you know waiting for the opportunity to, to come to her. Like She really had to go out and make it happen and take on roles, you know, whether it was skippering a boat or, I mean, she talks about buying a boat and they're like refurbishing the boat and they none are, of them really yes. know what they're doing, that they're learning as they go. And, um, but, but part of that, they knew that boat in a way that most of the other crews did not know their boats, right? right? Uh, very capable women on, on that boat. So the conversation is definitely about sexism, but I, I enjoyed the focus of the, the documentary that was on the, the, the successful journey of yeah. these women mm-hmm. and really, um, well, she resists that, that idea of being a feminist. Like That's she says, right. I hate the term yeah. feminist, right? Yeah. That just give me a chance. That's all yeah. I'm asking for. Yeah. <laughs> but what women achieved in this historical event is well told by, by the documentary. It's an inspiration to, to people, to many, all over the, the, I mean, young and old, and an inspiration to achieve things that not, no one else has achieved before and to believe in, the, in themselves and to trust in themselves. Yeah. I found this documentary very inspirational. We can remind that it was nominated for Best Oscar, but that year uh, Free Solo got the, uh, the best the Oscar. Yeah, for Best Documentary. Yeah, but that was, I mean, it's an excellent documentary. Yeah, no, it was it was I think good and, and appropriate you know uh, time as we you know Women's Day was uh, just uh, last week so uh, good timing for it. Let's turn to uh, to Parasite now and we're going to talk about Parasite as if you've seen it. So you hear a lot of talk about oh don't give anything away we're going to give it all away uh, here. So if you really don't want anything, turn off now. That's right. Go ahead and jump <laughs> jump forward. And maybe that's actually something to start with. I'm interested in this kind of discourse around Parasite that that we can't talk about the plot right. I I mean, of course, we don't want to give away spoilers, generally speaking, in in the way. But there's a kind of militancy that that people invoke about, you know, respecting the integrity of the of the plot. Now, to be sure, there are some great turns in this film. You know, when you find out that there's someone living in the basement, it changes everything. And so, okay, you know, point point well taken. But I think that there's something also really interesting going on here that it creates an actual hype around the film. And I think I mentioned to, you know, to, to several people before that there's something similar that went on with Hitchcock's Psycho when it first came out. And he really used it as a publicity stunt, right? Where um, the practice of going to, you know, the cinema in, in that time was you kind of went whenever, uh, not really respecting the times that film started and stopped necessarily because you could stay afterwards and you could just, you could stay and you could catch the beginning of the film if you missed it. But... 
for Psycho, mm -hmm. he, he insisted that the theaters not let people do that. Right. He kind of created this this disciplined um, viewing regimen around it. And the uh, the ushers were supposed to dress up like security guards mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they wouldn't be let in late to the, you know, to a screening of it and things like that. That's what we should have done <laughs> for the screenings of Parasite. Well, it, it really kind of created hype. I mean, we do have to say kind of along those lines, we had more people come to Parasite than I think any other film that we've shown uh, recently. It was really a successful uh, draw. So with all that having been said, I don't know if you have any comments on, on that. Mark, What's so great about Parasite? What, yeah, Parasite. You know, what, why has it generated this kind of buzz? Good question. Um, at IC or just in general? In, yeah, in, general. in general. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I think it was a film that kind of tipped the, the scales here in terms of the, the Academy Awards, right? It was, yeah. I mean, it's a really good film and, it, and it's entertaining and engaging, but it's also, I mean, there's, there's something kind of critical going on there in the film as well. Well, it was impressive to see after the screenings people talking about it. Yeah. Like, it's a film that requires processing, It right? requires processing. Mm -hmm. I think the violence does that, too. I think it kind of leads you in and, and, and makes you think it's going to be a comedy, and it is a comedy for a while, and the tone shifts, and then you get this kind of... In some ways, people don't see it coming, and such a violent yeah. ending, and I think it requires a sense of... And there's, there's a clear kind of allegory and metaphor going on. I think people want to unpack that a little bit. Mm -hmm. A lot yeah. of symbolism, you know, stairs and all the things that he uses to kind of suggest ideas of class. And so I think it requires a little bit of unpacking in that way. And I think people want to also kind of process the shock that they've kind mm -hmm. of experienced a little yeah. bit and, and get through it a little bit. You know. It's so important that the film is shocking because my, my take in reading on the film is that it's this critique of the bourgeois home right that the you know this idea that this family lives up on the hill and they're kind of not touched by anything right that they're yeah. insulated from you know from all the things that you know society the environment whatever it might throw at them because of their wealth right and they're completely oblivious of course to the way that other people live or supporting yeah, yeah. And, and and so they they're not malevolent they're 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 just, they're nothing. No, and they're, right? they're kind of oblivious, right? <laughs> yeah. To the fact that you have these classes beneath them who are, they have this symbiotic relationship, but then you have people who are supporting them. And so there's this, as we talked about, blindness, right? Mm -hmm. exactly. to, to what's going on in those who are supporting them. And that in some ways leads to this, this but it's violence. all built on, well, it's, there's violence already built, you know, yeah. kind of in the system, right? right? right. That it requires these people to be, for people to have, there are people who have not, right? right. And they're living in the in the basement in town. And, and there is a symbiotic relationship until the poor people are too many, right? right? And they're trying to replace each other and to get rid of each right. other, and it's not working, and the system is just like overwhelming yeah. and overwhelmed. And so then the violence creeps in. An important message about the world and what we're experiencing right now, right? Yeah, right. With like the rich countries and and all the the people leaving their countries because of war, because of situations that pushes them to leave, right? They're yeah. not, and all of a sudden they're crossing borders, and those richer countries have to to deal with with this influx of people coming in. Yeah, and so. I, for me too, it was a very symbolic thing. But we talked about the violence. But I have to point out that okay, that violence was very shocking. <laughs> but taking a second close look at it, there is a lot of like comedic yeah. aspect to it. Yeah. When Jessica is being uh, knifed in the heart, which is absolutely tragic. We love Jessica. She's so yeah. smart. Yeah. She's just carries the film in in so many ways because of her ways to be with people. She has a cake in her right hand, and she puts it on the face of, of her murderer, right. making him some kind of a clown, right? <laughs> That's like a, a circus yeah. act in some ways. Yeah. 
or um, the high-pitched voice that the former driver is using when he is himself like being killed with like a big skewer, right? Yes, (laughs) and his high-pitched voice like demanding respect with the blood on his face, and there's just in the tragedy, there's just this comedy that keeps creeping how do you explain those two genres together and there's that moment after when all the massacre happens and the the sun wakes up uh, kevin wakes up and laughing you know and and people are tentatively laughing in the audience and and it's a funny moment and in some ways but it it is kind of mixed in there in interesting ways and the sense of allegiance that those below have towards those above. I mean, the, you know, this idea of respect and, and and the way in which they honor them, and and yet they're kind of the, those above are kind of blind to to yeah. how much they kind of support. I think is is part of the tension that develops there. The, the mixture of comedy and tragedy reminds me in a lot of ways of the Gold Rush that we showed the week before, right? Where Chaplin is walking this fine line, and and Chaplin, you know, has the credentials to do this. Right? He grows up in this abject poverty in London. And so when he is representing poverty, it's not done from the standpoint of, you know, he's not slumming it in, mm-hmm. in, the, in the ways that others might be. Of course, he was a very wealthy person by the time he was making the gold rush. But, but he understands what it is he's dealing with and understands the way that these, that these two things actually, I think, come very close to, together. I think if Parasite didn't have the comedic aspects of it, it would be a very difficult film to watch. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we wouldn't be drawn into it, right? Yeah. And so he wouldn't be able to hit us with the kind of force that he does. And so that, that's how I read some of this comedy. I mean, it the, gives the, us a moment of reprieve. The more I see this film, the more you realize that Bong is a product of Korean cinema and he's a product of these kind of this this recent, kind of 20, last 20 years of kind of the, the Korean boom in, in film. But I also see a lot of Coen brothers. I see a lot yeah. of uh, Wes Anderson. I think that he's kind of being influenced by from the early 2000s. I mean, Fargo is, is also kind of this Yeah, that's a good example. Of comedy and drama kind of being mixed in interesting ways. So I think he's, he's really kind and of... And horror, right? Horror. <laughs> as well yeah so I think wood chippers and all right do you remember the scene when the family is decided to get rid of the cook and to um, have the mother take place of her of the cook I mean they're very very clever at getting all those schemes ready and so you have Mr. Kim the dad who is rehearsing his part <laughs> right, that yeah. in front of his family and you have his son that's like helping him take the emotion down and everything and this I mean I've seen a few Korean films and I know that the dad Kong Ho Song yeah. is a star in Korea yeah, yeah. so for a Korean public it must have been hilarious to see this well-known well-loved actor being taught by upcoming actor <laughs> and 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 really performing very well when he's in the car you know yeah. you, you see this these cuts back and forth between the rehearsal at home and then what happens in the present in the, in the car when he's telling his employee about his experience at the hospital. Anyway, so I think that there's a lot of things like this in the film that, that bring this, this this comedic aspect. Right. Yeah. In some ways, maybe American audiences don't recognize. Maybe not the stars, as much as kind of the, yeah, a Korean yes, yeah. audience for sure. Yeah. At the same time that this film was playing, I was uh, teaching a, a book in one of my classes by Amitav Ghosh called The Great Derangement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, Amitav Ghosh is an Indian novelist, but this is a kind of a secondary, a work of, of secondary literature where he's talking about that we're facing climate change is one of the kind of the great challenges of humankind. And, and yet our art very rarely rep- actually represents it. You know, there's not a good way to represent climate change. And something that really struck me as a parallel going on in this film is Ghosh talks about that the novel is well-suited 
for representing the well-functioning bourgeois home, mm. right? That that's what the novel is for, and it's not well suited for the challenge of scale and you know everything that, that comes with climate change. And, and he kind of goes into more detail about it, but it really got me thinking about how this film, it's not directly about anything like climate change, um, it's more about income inequality and things like that, but how all of these things in the way that Ghosh recognizes are tied up with each other. And what I mean by this is that there's a fundamental inequity in, in terms of power in, in what's being represented here. And Mark, you made some good points about this in your presentation, that there's parallels between the family and the corporation and the nation in Korea, right? That right, would right. resonate you know, very much with Korean audiences, maybe more so than with American audiences. But this fundamental inequity in power is what Ghosh says is ultimately behind the problems of climate change and why we have trouble dealing with climate change. And so it's interesting, this scene in the middle of the film with the flood, this climactic event that you know kind of inserts itself in the you know in the middle of this it's no big deal for the family other than the fact that they have to cancel their camping trip but for the kims they're flooded out of their home right that they're in the bottom of the city right. and what is 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 just slowly we're peeling back the layers of this well functioning bourgeois home up on the top of the hill and what we find is that there's a ghost in it right mm -hmm. that there's this specter <laughs> that's that you know is at its core that's mm -hmm. that's at its foundation kind of underneath the house and that the whole thing is built on this kind of, of inequity and oppression. Mm -hmm. And that is just such a wonderful metaphor, I, you know, I think, for thinking about what some of the challenges that we're facing, not only in terms of economics, but in, in terms of other sorts of things that are related to this inequitable distribution of power, mm -hmm. both in families. I mean, we just, you know, talked about maiden and kind of sexism and, you know, how, you know, it's, it seems like we still have a long way to go in, in some ways. But, uh, you know, not only in the families, but, but also in our uh, kind of communities, our corporations, and certainly, you know, between nation states. That this seems like the kind of film that we're going to be coming back to decades from now saying this is a, a marker of our time mm -hmm. in a really important kind of way. All right. Thanks, both of you. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to invite in some guests and we're going to talk about uh, The Chambermaid and Hard Labor.